we are, uh, we're working our way through Proverbs, and um, I'll tell you something that's interesting. I, Dale Burke pastors uh, Chuck's Old Church in Fullerton, uh, Evangelical Free of Fullerton, California. And uh, Dale has written a book that I've been reading that I've really been enjoying called Less is More Leadership. Less is More Leadership. And as I was reading this this week, it, it, it was interesting. Some of his observations uh, just began to fall into place with our next section that we find ourselves in, in, uh, in Proverbs 3. If you have your Bible, why don't you turn me to Proverbs 3, and we'll jump into that. Dale begins this with a, with a great story from an article that he read in the newspaper. I'll just, I'll just quote from his book. He says, a Tacoma, Washington newspaper featured the story of Tattoo, the Basset Hound. Tattoo hadn't planned to go on an evening run, but when his owner shut the dog's leash in the car door and took off for a drive, with Tattoo still outside the vehicle, the dog had no choice. Fortunately, a motorcycle officer noticed a passing vehicle with something being pulled behind it. It was the Basset Hound moving his short, stocky legs as fast as he could. The officer chased the car to a stop. Tattoo was rescued and survived, but not before he had reached a speed of 20 to 25 miles per hour. <laughs> this is a basset hound. Yeah, a little. 20 to 25 miles an hour and he had rolled over several times. <laughs> Dale writes, he said, when I read that story, I thought to myself, that happens to leaders too. And this is pretty good. He says, I love the story about Tattoo. I love the fact he was a basset hound with short stubby legs and not a Great Dane. Can you picture those little legs just churning furiously? He had probably never run that fast before, but he had no choice because he was running for his life. As a leader, Dale writes, I can identify with tattoo on many levels. Number one, somebody else is holding the leash. Number two, life is out of control, many times. Three, I'm just one small dog. Four, the car is too big and too strong. Five, it's run or be run over. Uh, six, nobody asked me. Seven, survival. Survival is the goal. Uh, we live pretty fast-paced lives. And sometimes it's like somebody's caught our leash in the car door, and uh, we're just struggling uh, to stay up and, uh, and to not get run over. Uh, life is stressful. Life is fast. Life is uh, nonstop. Uh, we never know the stress that a day is going to bring. Recently, a stockbroker was on his way home from his office in New York City. He was on the West Side Freeway in, in Manhattan, and traffic just, it just ground to a halt. I mean, it wasn't moving. It, it was absolute gridlock, and he traveled that every day. And it was slow, but usually you'd move. And, I mean, they weren't moving at all. And he suddenly noticed a police officer walking uh, between the cars. And he rolled down the window and he said, Officer, what's, what's, what's the holdup? And the officer said, Well, this is unbelievable. 
He said Hillary Clinton pulled her limousine over and just blocked traffic and, and, uh, and, and got out of the car, and she's, she's all stressed out, and she's threatening to douse herself in gasoline and, and light a match to her. And uh, apparently she's saying that her husband's still running around, and she's just found out that Democrats aren't going to put her on the ticket in 2008. So uh, it's, it's really a tough situation. So I'm just out here. We're, uh, just, we're trying to get contributions for her. The guy says, that's unbelievable. He says, well, he said, how much have you got so far? He said, about four and a half gallons, but some people are still <laughs> siphoning. I, I thought you might like that. It ties in here with what Dale's going to say next. People get stressed out. People get worn out. A lot of stuff we're dealing with in life. Next paragraph from Burke. Leaders everywhere in corporations and churches of all sizes are feeling the rush. When I ask them to describe their life, they tend to use three words. I am busy, buried, and behind. I've heard this so much that I now call this sense of being overloaded the B zone. Not only do we say I am busy or I am buried, but also, and here's some more Bs, I feel broke. I never have enough money to do what I want to do. I feel blocked. My fellow leaders or my circumstances won't cooperate with me. <clears throat> I feel bugged. The same problems keep coming up over and over again. I feel bummed, good California term. And at times, it's downright depressing. That happens in life. It's not uncommon. Uh, Christians are not exempt from those kinds of situations and those kinds of feelings. Uh, we're in the rat race uh, just like everybody else is in the rat race. And we're trying to keep up and we're trying to survive and we're trying to uh, do the things for which we're called to do and the things for which we're responsible, especially if you're a man. Because the buck stops with us. And we carry pressure and we carry responsibility and uh, we are responsible for others who look to us, and it's just the way life is, and uh, uh, it, uh, it can be extremely demanding and stressful at, uh, at times. The Christian life, the Christian life uh, is at times a paradox. It's interesting how many times in the Scripture, uh, in Proverbs, we'll find paradoxes. Uh, I'm going to quote from Dale one more time here. He has come up with some paradoxes as he looks at the Scripture. And we find ourselves in this kind of existence, this hurried, busy, uh, uh, 24-7 life. Uh, when I was working on my book with Mary, Overcoming Overload, Dale was working on this book. So we had some dialogue and we had some conversation because we were both looking at similar situations from different angles. And he's got a great section here on paradoxes that you find in Scripture. Let me just read them to you. He says, in order to be relevant, you must stay ancient. Did you catch that? In order to stay relevant, you must stay ancient. This is 
an ancient book, but it's the most relevant book in the world. He goes on. He says, in order to move forward, connect to the past. This book is about past things that have happened. The vast majority of it is about past things that have happened. Sections of, us, sections of it tell us things are going to happen, but the vast majority of it is about the past. In order to serve more people, first get away from everyone. So you remember Jesus feeding the 5,000. And in one section there in Matthew 14, it says, And after he sent the crowds away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. In order to serve more people, first get away from everyone. You can't serve more unless you're getting away. In order to speed up, you must first slow down. In order to accomplish more, you're going to have to take a break. In order to make a statement, be quiet and listen. In order to get moving, make sure you are well anchored. All those paradoxes, he is basically, uh, he's summing up from what the scripture teaches. And much of what he is talking about in terms of the the hurried life and the busy life uh, and the sense of always being behind is dealt with in, in Proverbs, in our section night in Proverbs 3. If you haven't already turned there, why don't you turn there? Proverbs 3, Solomon has written this under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. As we've said before, primarily this is addressed from a father to a son, teaching a son about how to live life skillfully. If you had a father who was available to you and who was connected to you and who spent time with you, you have had a tremendous advantage. You have had a tremendous head start. I, I have really appreciated uh, Chuck's candor and honesty in his uh, messages. And I think a lot of us have. Uh, you look at a guy like that, I'll tell you, on Sunday, when Chuck said that he did not realize that he had any leadership ability until he got into the Marine Corps, I'd never heard him say that before. I, I was shocked by that. I was stunned by that. I'm sure he's gotten some heat from people because he's being very candid uh, in talking about his father. Loved his dad. His dad loved him. His dad would do anything for him. But his dad was one of those guys that just didn't quite connect with him. And as a result, I think what Chuck's telling us is, is that, in a sense, he was at a real disadvantage. And going through life was unsure and was confused. Here's this guy with all of these remarkable gifts that for the longest time is not even sure who he is. I, I remember hearing Chuck talk about when he graduated from seminary, and he went to his first church in New England. And I love the line where he says, it didn't take him too long to figure out that people in New England are not impressed with people from Texas. <laughs> but the thing I remember Chuck talking about is, I mean, he's his rookie pastor, and he wasn't sure who he was. So one Sunday he'd get up to preach, and he'd be Howard Hendricks. 
Because, you know, Howard Hendricks, you can't beat Howard Hendricks. So Chuck would get up and he'd be Howard Hendricks. And the next Sunday he'd get up and, gosh, he'd be Billy Graham. It's hard to beat Billy Graham. And the next week he'd get up there and he'd, he'd be like Rick Stedman. You know, he had his own style. If you ever heard him, a phenomenal teacher. So he'd be Ray Stedman. And then the next week he'd get up there and he'd be, you know, Stan Toussaint. And, and many times he and Cynthia would be driving home after church on Sunday and she would just gently say, you know, Chuck, you just ought to be you. And aren't you glad that he finally got the message? You see? Now, fathers can help sons get a head start on getting comfortable with how God has put them together. Fathers can uh, help sons identify their strengths. Fathers can help sons identify, and daughters, of course, identify their God-given strengths. Uh, Fathers can help children understand how it is that God has put them together. God has given with, to every one of us, he has built into us strengths, and he's built in weaknesses. No one has all the gifts. No one has all the abilities. That's why um, we're in a body. That's why we're part of a team. That's why Hebrew says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. We are to be in church. We're to be part of a fellowship because you don't have all that it takes. There are two things, you've heard me say this before, there are two things in the Christian life you can't do by yourself. Number one, you can't get married by yourself. At least not yet. I'm sure there's a federal judge that's going to change that before long. Second thing you can't do by yourself is you can't live the Christian life by yourself. We're to be connected. Uh, we are to be apart. Um, you don't have all the gifts. I don't have all the gifts. You don't have all the See, God's given us different gifts, different skills, different abilities, and we're together. That's the way families are. That's the way the church is. That's the way the body is. But it sure helps when... The earlier you can get a grip on how God has put you together, the better off you'll be. The less time you'll have to spend figuring that out. That's the job of a father. When a father does that, he's given his son, he's given his daughter a tremendous head start. Some of you guys had that. Boy, you've got something to thank God for. Unless Brad interrupts you. Right? And if you don't, then you're on a search to say, Lord, how have you put me together? And if you've had to struggle with that, make sure your kids don't have to struggle with that. You help your kids understand how they've been put together by God. Because that's going to relate somehow to the purpose that God has for their life. The gifts are always related to the person's purpose. That makes sense, doesn't it? The ultimate purpose that God has for you, he's going to give you the gifts in order to accomplish the purpose. So you've got a father here instructing a son about life. Now, Dale mentioned some of these B words. And as I was looking at his book, 
and I was working on Proverbs 3, some of this stuff started in the place. I'm going to borrow his stuff here tonight. The first group that he talked about, if you recall, and a lot of us can relate to this, are those who feel busy, buried, and behind. I think for those in that category, Proverbs 3, especially verses 1 through 4, speak to that condition. He says, my son, do not forget my teaching. If we were to be candid and honest, and if we were to evaluate our situations in life, perhaps some of the reasons that contribute to the fact that we're busy and that we're buried and that we're behind is that we have forgotten some of the teaching of this book. Uh, this is written by the creator of life. And in this book, not only, not only do we find out that he is the creator, but we find out that he is teaching us in this book, our father is teaching us on how to live life and how to live life skillfully. Solomon's transferring this to his son, but ultimately it's the heavenly father who is the father of all of us. And in this book, he gives us principles by which to live. But what happens is we forget the principles. And what happens is we don't mean to do this, but we get caught up. And we get caught up in the herd and start living like everyone else is living because everyone else is living this way. And we get ourselves in trouble because we forget the principles that are designed to put the brakes on and, and, and put guardrails on the road up the mountain so that we don't fall off the side. And this happens to all of us. We forget. We don't mean to forget. But sometimes we forget. My son, don't forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments. I'll come back to that. For length of days and years of life, now catch this, and peace they will add to you. Peace. If there are two things that are missing in the life of the average American, the first thing would be rest, and the second thing would be peace. Those are two very, very valuable commodities. When we forget the teaching of the Father, we are going to come up short on rest, and that relates to busy and buried and behind. We're going to come up short on rest, and we're going to come up short on peace but he wants us to have peace he wants us to enjoy peace he, he, he wants us to have a, a sense of steadiness he wants us to have a steady a, a, a sense of calm he wants us to have a sense of of, of, of of security you see but if we forget the teachings we lose our peace if we forget the teachings and get caught up in the herd and in, and in the rush, uh, we lose our rest. Uh, fathers coach sons. That, that, and see, that's where, guys, I think um, the place of just reading the Scriptures is so important. 
Because every time you individually take some time in the morning to read the scriptures, you know what's happening? You're checking in with your father. And you know what he's doing? He's coaching. He's reminding. He's talking to you. He's encouraging you. He's letting you know that he's with you. He's letting you know everything's okay. He's letting you know he's bigger than what you're facing. He's letting you know he's got all power. He lets you know he's with you when you're disappointed. See, he's, let, he's just letting you, but you've got to check in. You've got to be connected. And how do you do that? In the book. What was it that Spurgeon said? Spurgeon said, C.H. Spurgeon said, a Bible that is falling apart is usually owned by someone who isn't. I remember a couple of years ago, I, after Sunday, and I was, you know, we drove up to the house, and I'm getting stuff out of the car. You know, we had about three years worth of church bulletins, and you know how those all accumulate. And, and I went to grab Mary's Bible, and as I went to grab her Bible, it literally, I just grabbed it, and it split in half. And I remembered Spurgeon's comment. A Bible that is falling apart is usually owned by someone who isn't. But see, here's what happens. We get so busy. We get so buried. We get so behind that this gets on the shelf. And, and the dust starts accumulating. And when that happens, the enemy's got you right where he wants you. You, you are dead meat. When this Bible gets closed and, and dust starts accumulating, you're still going to church. You still love the Lord. You still love your wife. You're holding on to your integrity. But I'm going to tell you something. You're fighting a losing battle because you're not checking in with your father. And you're not letting him coach you. And you're not inclining your ear to his wisdom. You can't live. You cannot live without this book. Now, some of you are feeling guilty. Good. Every time I go to the doctor, he makes me feel guilty. Has that ever happened to you? And he'll tell me stuff that I need to be doing. And I'm trying to do I, I have the hardest time doing that stuff. But there's a point where you just got to start kicking in. And, and why is he making me feel guilty? Because he wants me to live. He, he's trying to impart some wisdom to me. I haven't had bluebell ice cream since Christmas. And I'm really kind of hacked off about it. <laughs> but um, if I don't eat sugar, there are a lot of benefits that accrue into my life. And one of the things that hit me a while back, you know, my brother died four years ago, and I traveled so much. I got all these excuses, but at some point, you got to grow up and you got to start. And for some reason, when I read that the average American eats 170 pounds of sugar a year, for some reason that kind of hit me. I remember my doctor saying, "If you just lay off sugar," but I didn't want to lay off. I still don't want to lay off sugar. 
but those who love me are telling me to lay off sugar. So I've started smoking. <laughs> I don't do sugar, but I've been smoking Marlboros about three packs a day. No. You know what I'm talking about? That's what, does he make me feel guilty? Yeah, why? Because he loves me. If you're not in the Word, if you're not in the Word, you've got to get in the Word. Get the one-year Bible. There, there are Bibles that have got it broken down for you, and I mean, you don't have to do four hours a day. You can't. I mean, you're not a preacher. You're not paid to study. You, you've got a job. But if you carve out some time, thy word I have hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. See, we need the coaching of the Father. We need it on a daily basis. My son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace. Peace. Jesus said, peace I give unto you, not as the world gives. Hmm. Now, th this next verse hits me. Because when I get busy, and I get buried, and I get behind, listen to this. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. When I get busy and I get buried and I get behind, he mentions two things. He mentions kindness and truth. One of those drops off in my life when I get buried and busy and behind. You know which one it is? It's not truth. It's kindness. See right there. I... I just that word is my father coaching me. See, around here, we're pretty truth-oriented. We teach the truth. We preach the scriptures. Uh, we, we are told, and, and, and if you don't have truth, you don't have anything. Uh, th there's nothing more important than truth. What did Jesus say? John 8, 32. If you ab or 8, 31, 32. If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? Set you free, man. You see? Truth is huge. But you know what else is really, really important? Kindness is really important. So Ephesians tells us to speak the truth in love. Funny how we're put together. Some of us are, are wired by God on the truth side. We have no problem speaking truth. But where we've got to work on some things is on the love side. Where we've got to work on, because we're so truth-oriented, we've got to work. See, the love part doesn't come naturally to us. The kindness part doesn't come naturally to us. The sympathy side doesn't come naturally to us because we're so truth-oriented. But then you've got folks, and God has hardwired them on the love side. They tend to have gifts of mercy and compassion and sympathy. Those are great gifts. But sometimes those folks who love people so much, they love see people so much that it's very, very hard for them to tell the truth because sometimes the truth hurts and sometimes the truth offends. So how are you wired? We've got to find that balance. 
the kindness part. Uh, I think it was Alan Way McGinnis that he said, relationships are built up like a fine lacquer finish with the layers of kindness. I used to have, uh, when I got out of college, I read an article uh, that was in Road and Track on BMWs. Now, there weren't, when I read this article, there weren't 300 BMWs in the United States in 1970. Uh, I'd never heard of a BMW in my life. Actually, it was 71 when I read this article. I'd never, I'd never heard of a BMW. I didn't know what a BMW was. I'd never seen a BMW. I remember reading that article. And when I got out of college, I found a used BMW a 2002 that was absolutely pristine. And the guy who had it, had about 25,000 miles on it. I paid 3,000 bucks for this little BMW. It had that, this sound, it doesn't sound good. You gotta trust me. Because that, that 70 BMW, one of them came, it had a soft baby orange. It wasn't harsh, it was soft. It's almost a peach. And the guy I bought this from, had put seven coats of lacquer on this sucker. Oh, gosh. Was it nice? And the thing about those little BMWs, they just went like crazy. And you'd pull up against some guy in a jumping GTO. And you could smoke that sucker. It was a spiritual gift. <laughs> Not that I'd ever do such a thing. Especially if you're going on a curve. You just leave that sucker in the dust. I mean, those suckers had glue on them. Anyway. And then you go in the In-N-Out Burger. Yeah, I, I'm horsing around now. On El Camino. Are you from the Northern California? Whereabouts? You're from San Mateo? I graduated from San Mateo High School. Where'd you go to high school? Did we talk about that? Hey, would you sign my yearbook before you leave? That is a riot. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm digressing here. When I got that BMW, let me tell you what I'd do. On a Saturday, I'd wash that sucker, and then I'd wax it. I'd put blue coral wax on it. It already had seven coats of lacquer. And, and, and you got to rub that stuff in, and then you got to buff it out. It takes you about three hours to do it right. And then I'd stand back, and I'd look at that. And I'd think, I'm going to put another coat on it. And on a Saturday, I might put three coats of blue coral on that sucker. Three coats of blue coral on top of seven coats of lacquer. Now, if, what did McGinnis say? Relationships are built up like a fine lacquer finish with the layers of kindness. If I would work as hard on being kind in my home as I did on buffing out that BMW, I'd have some. I was patient with that car. No, I was. I was real patient. I took time. I gave it attention. I, I was willing to work with the details. I have trouble doing that. But see, that's, see, that's why I need to hear this. This is why I need to open up Proverbs and read about not just truth, but read about kindness and truth. And then I'm going to put them around my neck.
But see, what happens when we get busy? What happens when we get buried? What, what happens when we get behind? What tends to go? The kindness. We get short with people. Uh, Thomas Carlyle, the, the great Christian leader, said, a great man shows his greatness by the way he treats little men. What's that? You've heard this. Be real nice to the people you meet on your way to the top because you're going to see them on the way down. Right? Just how you treat people. Doesn't matter. I mean, nobody's a big shot. How do you treat people? I remember hearing a, a guy speak this summer. Uh, he, he's a youth guy. He's doing a lot of youth events. I heard him at Irving Bible Church one night. My daughter was singing there. This guy's probably 30, and he talked about when he was at Biola University, a guy, uh, a guy came through who was a big-time speaker. And he'd read all this guy's books, and, I mean, he just, you know, he couldn't wait to meet this guy. And he was sort of the guy's assistant for the week and helping him set up things. And uh, the thing that shocked him, he said, was how demanding this guy was and how rude he was to the people that were around him. Now, when he met with the president of the university, the guy was just charming. He was just outstanding. But um, when they drove the car in the parking lot, the attendant, and he, he read the guy off because the guy didn't have that. I mean, he, he was just, he was on a short. And what happened? The guy lost all credibility, all credibility. He didn't give his name, but the guy preaches about it. There was such a disconnect. This guy was strong on truth, no kindness. He's too busy, behind, buried. You guys know what I'm talking about. If we go on in this passage, verses 5 to 6 offer wisdom for the blocked. I think this is good stuff. The blocked, B-L-O-C-K-E-D. Most of us are very goal-oriented. Most of us have objectives. Most of us have plans. Most of us uh, have uh, things that we want to accomplish. Uh, I took a, a Performax personality test one time, and I failed. Sort of a blow to me. You know, when you don't have a personality, it, it's very devastating. But if you've ever taken Performax, and, and it's a self-scoring thing, and, and they hit you from three different angles on how you view yourself, how others view you, and how you are in a crisis, I think is what it comes down to. So you self-score it. It's very long. It's very, it's very good. I, I flipped over to the end, did the self-scoring, and all three categories, I came out with what they called result-oriented. I want results. When I don't have results, I get depressed. When I don't have results, I get down. When I, and a lot of you guys are that way. Because... We want to accomplish those goals. We want to achieve those goals. We want to take that hill. We want to make progress. We want to achieve. We want to climb the ladder. We want to be successful. We want... Sometimes we get blocked. We don't like getting blocked. We don't like obstacles. We don't, we, we don't mind obstacles as long as we can move them. We don't mind obstacles as long as we can get around them or knock them over or... Call somebody we know who's above the obstacle and get the guy out of our way. See, we just, we don't want to be blocked. But what happens is, is you'll get blocked. As you're on your path, you've got your goals, you've got your, uh, your plans, you've got your timetable for what it is you're trying to achieve. And sometimes you get blocked. Boy, that's frustrating. 
So what do you do when you get blocked? And you know, ultimately, ultimately the ones who's blocking you is the Lord. Ultimately. Because he runs everything. He's in charge of everything. Everyone that's standing in your way, God's in charge of that person. Everyone that is frustrating your plans, God is in charge of that person. Uh, the circumstances that are blocking you from what you want to achieve, God is sovereign over those circumstances. Uh, I was reading something in Job this morning. Flip over to Job, would you? Uh, in the last chapter of Job, and, and Chuck did such a good job on Job, those 13 years that he was teaching it. Hey, I read about a guy this week, no kidding, Thomas, uh, not Carl, uh, Thomas, uh, a pastor in London in the 1700s. I get it, Chuck would love this. He had a church in London of about four or 5,000 people. When he took the church as a young man, four or 5,000 people, he started on Job. He finished Job 50 years later. There are 150 people in the church. That's a true story. That's absolutely true. You thought, what, I mean, Chuck Toy, a year? This guy went 50 years in Job. He was going to make those people feel Job. Huh. Look at verse 40, uh, look at chapter 42, verse 1 and 2. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things. Now catch this, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. The purpose of God in your life cannot be thwarted. The, the purpose of God in your life cannot be blocked. That's why I say, ultimately, if you've got a blocked goal, you're frustrated. You don't like that. Ultimately, it's God who is behind your blocked goal, and at the right time, he'll remove the block. But we get frustrated with that, and we don't understand it, and the timing's not good, and, and we want to move ahead. So let's go back to Proverbs. So, so then what does Proverbs 3 say to those of us who find ourselves in situations where we're blocked? You're a single guy. You'd hope to be married by now. You're not married. You'd like to have a wife. You'd like to have a family. But, but it's not happening. That's frustrating to you. Where do you find the right woman? You, God's got to bring her to you. That's frustrating. You would have liked to have been married three years ago or five years ago. That's tough. That's hard. What, what, uh, Proverbs says, uh, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But desire fulfilled is the tree of life. That was my verse when I was single. Just being honest with you. Hope deferred. Where is this woman? I need this. I need her. Where is she? She's not here yet. She was dating some other guy. But at the right time, God put us together. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. See, if you're blocked, your hope is deferred and you're sick. So what's the verse? What does Proverbs 3 say to you? Well, look at verse 5. And boy, this is the most famous section in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord. With all your heart. Not most, not some, not 80%. Trust in the Lord with all. You know what that word means in the Hebrew? It means all. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now catch this. And do not lean 
on your own understanding. Don't depend. Don't camp. Don't settle on your own understanding. Well, Lord, I don't understand. I don't, of course you don't understand. What does God say in Isaiah 55? Eight. See, we get ticked off at God. And here's why we get ticked off at God. In Isaiah 55, 8, he says, My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts above your thoughts and my ways above your ways. That frustrates us. Because, you see, if you had your way, let's talk about the single thing, Mary, you'd be married now. And that's frustrating to you. Or you'd be this, in your career, you thought you'd be here by now, but you're back here. Or in your health, you thought at this point in your life you'd be here, but you're back here. Or wherever it is in life where you've got a blocked goal, this is the verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean. Don't let your understanding be the foundation. But in all your ways, acknowledge him. Honor him. Reverence him. Follow him. Obey him. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. What that means is he's going to intersect them. At the right time, it's going to come together. If you're coming down I-35 out of Oklahoma, you get to Denton, I-35 splits right at Denton. And I-35 East runs through Dallas. I-35 West runs through Fort Worth. But then you get down by, what is it? Hillsboro, that Nike store is. That, what happens? They come together. What happens? He, he, he makes it straight again. There'll be times in life where your interstate is going to split. That's not what you want. You, you want it together. You don't want it to split. You, 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 you've got, so you want this, and he's doing this. You'll acknowledge him. If you'll follow him, if, if you'll reverence him, if you'll be his guy, he, put it together. At the right time, Timing is everything. It's everything. We got to open this up and let guys just tell stories of how God's done this in their life. When you've been frustrated with God, and then you had to wait. Nobody likes to wait. But you wait, and, and God came through and... Oh, it rarely comes together the way that we thought. Yeah, rarely. Yeah, that's a great point. But see, that's his plan, and that's his thought, and that's his way. Yeah. And that's the glory. I mean, we, uh, now to him who was able to do exceeding abundantly beyond anything we could ever ask or think. That verse used to blow me away when I was in seminary because I thought, you know what, i got a pretty good imagination. I can think some pretty darn good things. But God's done that. But beyond what you can imagine, eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. That's just not in heaven. That's on earth. He's got things for us in mind. We don't know a thing about it. 
And it, would have, and it wouldn't be in our plan. I had a thought and I lost it. Obviously, God blocked it. <laughs> Psalm 75, 6. Okay? This will help you if you're blocked. Flip over there real quick. Psalm 75, 6. Reminds you of the sovereignty of God, okay? If you're blocked, he's blocking you. He's got a better plan. He's got a better way. He's got something for you you can't see. Trust him. Let him put it together. I just got the thought back, and I lost it that quick. It'll come again. Gosh. I got to take more of that ginkgo stuff. I need bluebell. I'm in bluebell deprivation. It's the sugar blues is what's happening to me. All right, look at this. Look at 75.6 Psalms. For not from the east, nor from the west, nor from the desert comes exaltation. Some versions say come promotion. But God is a judge. He puts down one and he exalts another. Promotions come from God. IBM doesn't promote you. God promotes you. Whoever you're working for, you get a promotion, God promoted you. That's why you don't have to scheme. Warren Wiersbe used to say, faith is living without scheming. You don't have to politic for the promotion. You don't have to make calls. You just follow Christ. You just do your work to the glory of God. You give him your life, and then you let him, you let him promote you. Because uh, there, there is nothing more dangerous than a man being promoted before he's ready. See, some of you guys have had that happen, and that's why you heard the, the sounds. Because hmm. some of us have had that happen. See, it, it, if you get a promotion and you schemed, or if you finagled or whatever, and you were put somewhere and you weren't ready, you know what? It didn't work out. But if you let God, promote you see you didn't finagle you didn't do this if you let God if you let God if you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God at the right time he'll exalt he'll promote you and you didn't do a thing to get there so you can be at peace and you can be at rest the Lord you okay and then you got a confidence not because you did it because he did it you have no business being there he put you there Takes all the pressure off. Gives you a, a confidence in him. What the heck am I doing here? Well, you put me here. Okay, here we go. I guess you, you know, you'll lead me now. And he will. See, it's a different way of living, isn't it? They don't teach this at SMU in the business school. Or any other place you go to on this stuff. It's a different. You guys still there? Okay. They used to teach the Bible down there at SMU, didn't they? I think they did. Okay. I, I got to move here. Verses 7 and 8. Uh, I, I, I'm doing this. What do you call this? Alliteration? These bees thing? Okay. And again, this is, this is Dale's stuff. He talked about those who are bugged. Why do we get bugged? We get bugged when the same problems keep coming up again and again. That's when we get bugged. That's when we get frustrated. Someone has said this. Insanity 
is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. That's pretty good. One more time. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting the same results. Uh, one more time? What is this, TiVo or something? Huh? What, did I do it wrong? Well, then I will do it again. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. There we go. Insanity, no, that, that'll be it. <laughs> I was going insane here, is what I was doing any, anyway. You didn't get that. So, so you get bugged because you, you do it over and over and over and this isn't working. Well, let's try wisdom. Why don't we try wisdom? We've done it my way. I might have said this in here a few weeks ago. Now, whenever I go into a restaurant, or I'm in a mall or an elevator, and I hear Sinatra singing my way, I just shake my head. Man, I bet you that guy would give anything to take that back. Because, see, my way is the wrong way. It's his way. That's the right way. That's the only way that makes sense. Keep doing it my way. I keep doing it my way over and over and over again. It's insane to think anything's going to change. But when I start doing it his way, and I start seeking wisdom, then there's going to be a difference. We've been talking about uh, the busy and the buried and the uh, behind, uh, the overload thing. We're o overloaded. We're overextended. We're overly tired. We're overly exhausted. We're overcommitted. Dwight Moody said this. Because you see, guys, we, we just keep doing that, many of us. We just keep doing it. And it's not working. It, it frays our marriages. It stresses us out physically. It makes us short with our kids. We have no patience. We're tired. We're hard to live with. We're irritable. Dwight Moody said this. The trouble with a great many men is that they spread themselves out over too much ground. And they fail in everything. If they would only put their life into one channel and keep in it, they would accomplish something. Listen to what Spurgeon said. Collect your thoughts, rally all of your faculties, mass your energies, focus your capabilities. Turn all the springs of yourself into one channel. Exactly what Moody said. Causing it to flow onward in an undivided stream. Some men lack this quality. They scatter themselves and therefore fail. We get too spread out. Uh, on October 30th, I hit 55. I'm officially a senior. Officially. I've been getting this AARP stuff in the mail for five years. And I haven't joined. I'm still not joined. But uh, 55, you can still walk in and say I'm 55. I'm going to get a better deal in a hotel. I mean, it's 55. You see? Um, 
You know what's interesting about hitting 55? I started thinking a few years ago that what I want to do is that I want to not be a floodlight. I want to be a laser beam. Light spread out is spread out. But when you take light and you focus it and you direct it and you concentrate it, you can do amazing things with a laser. The older you get, the more focused you should be. And you should be focused on your gifts. You should be focused on your strengths. Because that's, there's a reason God gave those to you so that you could contribute and work to his glory. Does that not make sense? It makes all kinds of sense. Now, I think verses 7 and 8 refer to this. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be a healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Some of you guys have come to Christ later. And, and I hear this from guys all the time. I, I wish I had to come to the Lord 30 years ago. I wish I had to come to the Lord 20 years ago. I wish I had to come. I'd say I'm 40 and I've just come to the Lord. Or I'm, we have vain regrets. Why? Because earlier in life, early in life, we were wise in our own eyes. See, when I'm wise in my own eyes, I'm doing it my way. So, you know, I think it'd be neat to go over and work in this area. Well, you're not gifted in that area. Why would you work in that area? Because you, you think you can do it. But that's not your area. But if you're wise in your own eyes, nobody can tell you anything. See, I'm going to go live this kind of sinful life, and I'm going to be an adulterer, and I'm going to do all this. And you're wise in your own eyes. See, that's how we all start. We all start out as fools. But what happens is, what happens is, when, when we learn the fear of the Lord and he comes into our lives, what he wants to do is, he not only wants to birth us, but he wants to grow us and he wants to focus us. The older we get, our life should be like a funnel. Funnel is wide at the top, and the further down you go, the more narrow it gets. And, and, and through all these experiences, as you get focused on Christ and fearing the Lord and following him, you'll be more effective. And you start saying no to more things that you're not called to do. Is this making sense? When we did the overcoming overload thing, I think I mentioned to you, I have this quote from Spurgeon. It's the third time I've mentioned him tonight on, on, over my computer. Spurgeon said, learn to say no. It will do you more good than learning to read Latin. <laughs> Why would I want to read Latin? But back then, that was a big deal. Just learn to say no. See, we start saying no to things that we're not gifted, we're not called to do, Right there, you'd start taking care of being too busy, too buried, and too behind. You start saying, say what? No. No. One, uh, I've got to watch my time. Give me just a second. Go, if you go back to 3.1, my son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. You read most commentators, and they're going to tell you that's a reference to the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments is to keep the Sabbath. Uh, you guys are pretty sharp. First thing that comes to our mind is, yeah, yeah, this is New Testament. That was Old Testament. That was a law. The Sabbath existed before the law. There are creation ordinances 
that God has put into place for all people in all times, in all cultures. Work is a creation ordinance. And I don't have time to give these all to you. Work's a creation ordinance. Adam was to till the garden and take care of it. He didn't work because sin came into the world. He was to work before sin came into the world. But when sin came into the world, because of the curse, he had to deal with uh, thorns and thistles, you see, by the sweat of his brow. But we were made to work. Work is a creation ordinance. You're to work. Everyone's to work. Uh, unless, you know, you're, you're, there's a disability or some reason like that, you can't work. Uh, 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 marriage is a creation ordinance. Genesis 2.24. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, something about the creation ordinances. The world is against the creation ordinances of God. Uh, so here we are. We're talking about marriage in our culture. And we've got this nonsense going on. We've got these four fools in Massachusetts that started this thing. And I say they're fools with biblical basis because Psalm 14 has said, the fool has said in his heart, there is what? There is no God. So in all the cultures in the history of the world, Toynbee wrote, what is his book, Civilizations, are there 26 great civilizations? None of them have attempted to redefine marriage. We're the first ones in history, other than Sweden. And Sweden's not a country. I mean, they're a county. Did I say this last week in here? See, I, I talk too many times during the week. Um, that's a biblical issue. They're fighting God on that one. God established marriage. God owns marriage. God invented marriage. It can't be man-man. It can't be woman-woman. It's man and woman, period. When you remove that, then why can't a 58-year-old pedophile marry a 6-year-old boy? They have no grounds to which to say that's wrong. God's put this down for all people. So you got Then you have children. Having children is a creation ordinance. Be fruitful and multiply. Can I give you another creation ordinance? The Sabbath. The world says go 24-7. You know what God says? Take the Sabbath. Now, Jesus set the Sabbath free. There's not a word in the New Testament on how to observe the Sabbath. You know why? Because Jesus said it's free. Does that mean there is no Sabbath? No, the principle is still there. In Israel, there was not only a Sabbath day, there was a Sabbath year. Also, there were three festivals during the year where people had Sabbaths, where they went to Jerusalem and they worshipped and they ate and they had fun and they saw friends and they got together. It, God put these things into place. What we do in our culture, we go 24-7 and we just keep running and we can't do that. That's how we get buried and that's how we get tired. And what was the purpose of the Sabbath? Why did God say they were to have a Sabbath? The purpose of the Sabbath was to what? Rest. Is there a day in your life where you don't answer email? Is there a day in your life where you don't answer your cell phone if it's someone from work? Is there a day? Now, I'll tell you what. Uh, the Sabbath historically was Saturday. When Jesus rose from the dead, believers started worshiping on Sunday. That's been the tradition since the book of Acts. But um, uh, for a pastor, Sunday is no Sabbath. He's going to have to find another day because that's, that's no day of rest for Chuck. He's going to have to find another day. David's got to find another day. Taylor's got to find another day. You see, Sunday's a work day. What, what's your day? doesn't matter. See, it doesn't matter. Jesus set the Sabbath free. You can take any day you want. The principle is you just need to take a Sabbath. Because what happens when you rest? Just think this through with me for a minute. If you were to take a day of rest, 
Now, when Churchill, you know what Churchill did on his day? He took a day. You know what he would do? He was a mason. He had a guy teach him how to do bricks. At Chartwell, he'd build brick walls. He built a brick little playhouse for his daughter, Mary. He said he was working. No, he wasn't. Not for him, he wasn't. That was a break. He wouldn't do what he's normally doing. It was great for him to do that. If you were to take a day of rest and not do what you normally do, give me some words that start with R-E that would happen in your life if you were to take a day of rest from your normal work. Give me some. Relax. Recreation. Read. Read. Are there any you, you say, man, I, I, man, I wish I had time to read that book. Well, take a day and read it. Oh, I can't. I'm too busy. No, you're not. Read. What else? Relief. Relax. What? Recuperate. Rebuild. Regret. We got a counselor here you ought to see right after the deal. Any others? Rejuvenate. What? Resuscitate. Refresh. Reflect. Reestablish. Replenish. Recover. You get the point, don't you? Relax. Re, re, recline. Remote. <laughs> hey, God's for it. No, no. No. Does that mean you're a sluggard all day long? Well, maybe one day you need to be. If you're, if you're, if you're back yeah. Maybe you just need to take a day. I'll take, I'll take you know what I do someday? There are days when, I, when I'm really worn. You know what I'll do? I'll sit down and I'll read Louis L'Amour novels from 9 in the morning till 9 o'clock at night. And I'll go walk in between. I don't know why. That just relaxes me. I, I can't tell you what. It's just what it does. When my boys were at home, I'd shoot bat. We'd just go out and shoot baskets. We'd just shoot baskets. You know what that do? It just clears my head. Just shoot hoops. See, it did, Jesus set the Sabbath free. See, if we'd go back and not forget his teaching and listen to his commandments, it'd ratchet it down, guys. Is, it, is this making any sense? Making all kinds of sense. Because it's what God says. Uh, verses 9 and 10. I've got to quit here. We've got the coffee and the donuts and the Bud Light out there. <laughs> verses 9 and 10. He talked about the broke. Are you broke? Verses 9 and 10 are for you. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first year your produce. And your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. A lot of people who are in financial trouble aren't givers. Greatest financial principle in the history of the world is give and it shall be given unto you. If there were no other verse in the Bible, that's all you need to know. Uh, I get Forbes magazine. This week I got it. 400 richest men in America. Number one's Bill Gates. You know who number two is? William, uh, what's his name? Warren Buffett. Yeah. Now, they got on Gates a few years ago because he wasn't giving any money away. So he started his foundation. And this year, they had this whole list, how much money these guys give. Gates gave away 37% of his income. He's only got $19 trillion left. 
But he gave 30. He said, come in the guy. He gave, you know, I wouldn't give to what he's given, but he did. I mean, I'll, I'll give him credit. Warren Buffett's number two. You know how much of his income Warren Buffett gave away? 1%. You read that list, it was amazing to me how many of those suckers gave away 1% or less. Uh, they got money, but they don't know God. If you don't have money, you need to give. Man, I can't afford to give. You can't afford not to give. In the Old Testament, there's a principle called first fruits. When the first crops would come in, you know what they do with those first crop, first crop, first grain, first, you know what they do? They give it to the Lord. Whoa, 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 wait a minute here, wait a minute. Let me get about two months worth in, and then I'll give it to him. Nuh-uh. You give it to him first. Yeah, but then the guy's thinking, oh, yeah, but if I give it to him first, what comes in? What if, what if there's a hailstorm, and what if there's a flood, and everything's destroyed? Well, then you're out of luck, pal. See, the principle was, I'm going to give to the Lord first, and I'm going to trust him that he'll come through and meet my need. And there's never been anybody in the history of the world that could stand up and say God didn't come through, ever. And it's the greatest thing in the world when he does it. And you tell your kids about it, and they get pumped. And they remember it for the rest of their lives, and then they tell their kids about it. There's one more here, and we're done. The California term, bummed. And again, I'm using Dale's thing, and he pastors in California. He talked about the bummed, the depressed. Verses 11 and 12 offer wisdom for the bummed, for the depressed. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves. Even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. As you go through life, because God's a good father, he'll discipline. Read the book of Hebrews. You've never been disciplined by God, you're probably not a son of God because every child, every son that God has, he disciplines. All discipline for the moment seems not to be painful, Hebrew says. I love that term. What an understatement. All discipline for the moment, for the moment seems, oh, seems not to be joyful. I would agree with that. The man does it ever yield fruit. A lot of times we're bummed because we're blocked. Because things aren't going away. Uh, maybe God's disciplining. Maybe you've got to learn some discipline. Maybe you've got to learn a lesson. So God's holding you back. God's got you a little bit of fire going. He's got you a little bit in a situation you don't want to be in. What's he doing? He's disciplining you. Dallas Morning News this morning, sports section, back page. I think it's back page. Three Dallas Cowboys went to the same military academy in Virginia. Fork Union Military Academy. Eddie George. Vinny Testaverde, Dexter Fogel. They told their stories about going to Fork Union Military Academy. You know what they all had in common? None of them wanted to go. Then they went and visited. They really didn't want to go. Because <laughs> they're just young guys in high school. Testaverde's uh, story comes to mind because his dad took him and showed him around. And he looked at it. And they got back in the car, and his dad said, what do you think? And he says, well, Dad, I don't want to go. This isn't the place for me. And his dad said, well, you know, son, I think it's the best place for you. And you're going to go. And he was bummed. 
His world fell apart. He's 40 years old, still playing ball, and he looks back and basically said, man, I'm so glad my dad made me do what I didn't want to do because I learned discipline. Coakley said, I learned discipline. Eddie George said, I learned discipline. Those guys are not only great athletes, they're solid men. They learned, they're not late for meetings. They don't do dumb things. They learned discipline. That's what God's doing in us. It bums us, but gosh, do we need it. He's a good God, isn't he? All right, let's bow and pray. Thank you, Father, for all the good things you do for us, even things we resent when you do them. You interrupt our plans. We, we, we say, we don't, no, we don't, I don't want to do this. No, this, this. This is going to take away all my fun, all my happiness, all my... But it's exactly what we need. We look so short-term. You look long-term. Thank you, Father, that you offer us the abundant life. And the way that we think we're going to experience the abundant life is usually the wrong way. The mind of man, Proverbs 16 says, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. Your way is always the best way. Encourage us. Remind us that you're with us. You're not against us. You're for us. Give us the smarts not to fight you. Give us the smarts to surrender and yield because your way is the best way. Give us those teachable hearts. We ask these things in Jesus' name.